Welcome to the Portion Podcast, a weekly discussion of the Torah portion of the week. I'm your host, Aaron Roller, here with my co-host, Rabbi Jonathan Bienenfeld. Great to be here. It is great to be here with you. We uh, After our hiatus. Little hiatus last week. Yeah, it was uh, a little sad, um, but I'm, I'm glad that we're back together. Uh, you, you still have a couple of tears on your left cheek. You want to? There was a box of tissues over there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, listen. I uh, no. I got I got a little message out to our listeners right before Shabbos. To give them a little little Dvar Torah to listen to. Oh, nice. Good um, job. Did you, you, you didn't did, you didn't no, even know that I did it? No, no, no. Because no. I, you know what? Because I'm since I'm um, Sabbath observant, I I end up not listening to the podcast on. When on I say right before Shabbos, I meant like at eight thirty in the morning. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, shortly after you told me there was no chance you no were going to come over to my house yeah. and over breakfast record a, a quick show on Friday morning. So first of all, our <laughs> apologies to whoever may have have missed it, missed the the, the formal traditional weekly podcast, weekly portion. Um, yeah, it, it felt felt like something was something was missing this week in the in the weekly repertoire a little bit. So very happy to be back and doing it this this week. We had a very busy week last week. We spent the first few days of the week act together, actually, at the APAC Policy Conference in Washington, D.C., which was uh, loads of fun, a lot of inspiration, really cool. Always great to be part of something that's so big and so huge and just such a such a spectacle. That Mike Pence can really get you riled up. He really knows how to stir your emotions. No, not not necessarily. As uh, I, I mean, just to, to speak, to, not, not speaking in political terms, because I think they are certainly... Uh, fall on different sides, but I feel like if you could average the uh, level of enthusiasm between Senator Cory Booker and Vice President Mike Pence, you would have, like, just a, that, that, that's the right level of enthusiasm. Yes, agreed. Right, right, right. <laughs> so who, who hit that? Who would you say hit that? President of the Congo. The President of the Congo. He was, was, uh, he was, that, was that was an excellent... Uh, that was an excellent talk. I enjoyed it. It was in French. But right, but you you are, you speak French, don't you? I speak more traditional Congolese uh, languages. Ah, of course, of course, of course. How <laughs> silly of me, of course. And not the not the language not the language of the uh, a colonist, but right. um, <laughs> no, it was uh, there were subtitles in English. Right. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Parshat Kitisa is uh, what we're what we're reading. Yeah, and it's a big one. This is a this is a major. I mean, cannot stress the importance of this parsha. Not necessarily for the good, but this is such a major, major turning point in the history of the Jewish people and the trajectory of the Jewish people. This is really this is the sin. This is the sin in this week's parsha that effectively creates this this schism, almost this alternate timeline that never should have been. Uh, this is a, a sin that we continue to talk about in each successive generation. Whenever there is punishment, whenever there is difficulty, travail that the Jewish people experience, it always comes back to the sin of the golden calf. We view this as sort of the, almost the, the embryonic form of sin itself on a national level. And when we think about Tisha B'Av and we think about all the other tragedies that go, that go along with it, the, the concept of, of, of our of our withdrawing from Hashem and Hashem withdrawing from us always comes back to the sin of the golden calf, to the Cheta Ego. All right, so to to lay it out, Moshe is on Har Sinai. He's up there. He's getting the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. He's also getting all these instructions that we've been reading about the last couple of weeks about how to... I mean, well, there, there's there's a debate about this. Yeah, unclear. Uh, unclear when all that stuff comes. But certainly in, in terms of reading the, the text, it's like, you know, this this week's Parsha starts with 
there's the laws of the uh, of of the ha- giving half a shekel to take a census for right. the people, and the there's uh, some mixing some oils, the oil, the anointing oil that's used for for the high, for the priests and for um, maybe for kings. Although I don't think that's mentioned, uh, and the uh, the ketoret. There's all this. So there's a lot of instructions, and then it kind of sounds like okay, well then Hashem was done, and he said, you know, <laughs> like like it it it, it seems to be like. God is done speaking to Moshe, and the assumption you're left with, or you could be left with, is he's done telling Moshe these things that we just we were just reading about. Right. And but, then and then would come and then would come the Cheta Egel. Right. Or simul- right. So simultaneously, so so Moshe's up there and the people miscount. They are impatient. They can't wait for him. And they decide that he is dead or abandoned them and their response the the next thing that they need is instead of appointing a new leader they decide to build uh an idol a golden calf right so i mean obviously this is this is bad this is <laughs> this is contradictory to the the 10 commandments to the idea of uh, well in terms of I am I am one God I don't know but certainly in terms of the don't let there be any graven images this is uh, you know quite <laughs> like the definition of a graven image so uh, I mean what I don't know what, what's 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 your insight why do they why do they go this route uh, why do they sort of fall so fast so quickly so I think that that uh, the first thing to understand and uh, this this famously comes from the Ramban or I should say that I guess the Ramban really popularized this approach but it, it really jumps right off the page if you take a, a careful a careful reading of the psukim themselves is that it becomes readily apparent that and much the way that you outlined it that the Jewish people are not looking to replace God they're looking to replace Moshe and that's the first thing to understand in trying to wrap our heads around what it means for the for the eagle for this calf to what what purpose is it meant to serve it is not a wholesale, jettisoning of monotheism it's not that this didn't work and without moshe to guide us then we cannot we cannot uh, abide by mono- monotheism and we we need to completely revert back to polytheism but the idea is that they need some sort of a conduit that's going to be able to connect the dots for them that's going to be able to draw them closer to hashem being that moshe Rabbeinu is now gone that's exactly what moshe was right moshe served as the interface as the as the exchange between themselves and God, Moshe is not here anymore. Now we need something else. And what's what's fascinating and still needs to be understood is why then don't they turn to the next logical human being, the next rung on the totem pole within the hierarchy of Jewish society, and instead they look for this calf. Instead they look to this this graven image. And so why what what. Why? Well, there's a lot of background. I mean, for one thing, we need to appreciate that they were recently in in Mitzrayim, that they were recently in Egypt, and this is what they and this is what they um, what they were accustomed to. I think we need to appreciate also that you, know, you mentioned before that this isn't necessarily an infraction of of thinking about God in infinite terms, but it certainly is a graven image. We need to appreciate that those two things really are very very closely. Related, It is specifically because we need to view God in completely infinite terms that we are also prohibited from creating graven image, meaning a finite God, one could imagine, everybody understands, right? It's, it's, it's not that 
if you bow down to an idol, that you're bowing down to the idol per se. It's that the idol is representative of some greater deity, some greater force in the universe. When, when Greeks bowed down to Zeus or Apollo statues of Zeus and Apollo, there wasn't the sense that the statue itself was actually, you know, running, running around at night when nobody, when nobody could see, you know, Toy Story a, style. A night at the museum. A night at the museum style. And uh, and 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 doing the uh, doing the 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 whatever it is that gods do at night. That wasn't what was going on. It's that it's that this is some sort of of antenna. This is some sort of conduit for me to be able to connect to that greater that greater power. And that's why we can't do it. Meaning, if you can imagine, as as absurd as it might be to take a divine uh, deity, a divine force, and try to to try to condense that power down into a finite block of stone, it's reasonable in the sense that, okay, well, well, it's a representation. The same way that I have an icon on my computer that I click on, I'm not actually clicking on the program itself. I'm clicking on something that's representative of the program. It serves mm -hmm. as a point of access. You can't do that if you're dealing with a god that is completely infinite. It's totally inappropriate to take a block of stone, however beautiful and however impressive, and say that this is going to serve as a representation or as an icon for something that that is fundamentally infinite. And yet... We just spent the last two weeks hearing about building all of the utensils for the tabernacle, that there is an idea of, I mean, I think you could you could absolutely use this description, condensing the divine, uh, you know, presence down into this one one space. I mean, you know, that's, that's you know. Like I, you know, I'm going to reside amongst them, says says Hashem in regards to this. So I, I think that I, I'm not asking that as a a challenge to to uh, how you're describing it. I think it, that it lays out the distinction that is so sharp, this thin thin line between uh, the fact that, as we've talked about, that human beings need to relate to God. It's it's very difficult to just walk around without any kind of physical reminder at all um, and and creating uh, an idolatry and going uh, too far. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I think that, that that is the distinction. That's the difference. And that both both are true. When you look through the Torah, we do find that there are physical and finite objects that we try to utilize as a means of coming close to God, whether it's the contours of the Mishkan or it's a lulav and esrog, or it's a shofar. There are actual physical, tangible mitzvah objects that we utilize in order to try to draw close to God on the one hand. And yet on the other hand, none of those items serve as a direct representation of God himself. It's a place It's a place in which I can serve God. It is an, an access point for me to come closer to God. But God isn't the shofar. The shofar doesn't represent God. The, the edifice, the building, the mishkan is a point where I can rendezvous with God, but it's not God himself. It's, it's a special area and it's a special, it's a special uh, venue in which God feels closer and God's presence becomes more manifest. But it's not a direct, it's not a direct representation of God himself. And I think that that is what we find the people reaching for. The people are reaching for something that is going to bring God that much closer in the absence of in the absence of Moshe. So what I think is is interesting and noteworthy. I mean there's like so many different 
places when you, if you're trying to to refine and and define what it is that's happening here with the sin of the golden calf. But two things that I'll note: number one, this tradition that right, if as I'm kind of saying here that there's this thin line between encountering a a, a non-physical god in a way that is appropriate and and spiritually healthy and in fact mandated by god himself and trying to channel that relationship through uh you know an, an iconography which is going to be you know totally which is totally off the mark like you're you know you're you're, you're on like a, a razor's edge here and you just fall off if you're if you, if you go over the it's interesting to note that like the tradition shows not just that they make this image, but then it then goes to the other cardinal sins of Judaism, right? The the Torah says that, that they, they rise up in the morning and says, let's sachek, and sachek is a word which has been euphemistic for, uh, for, for sexual promiscuity. And so there's this idea that they rise up to, that, you know, in worshiping the calf, they are going towards something which is completely, you know, they're incorporating elements of promiscuity that, that are completely, completely uh, out of bounds. And in this, uh, you know, melee that ensues, they are, um, Miriam, Moshe's sister, uh, her son, Hor, tries to, to stop them from going too far and they uh, straight up murder him. And so they've quickly descended to the three cardinal sins of Judaism, which are idol worship, uh, you know, inappropriate sexual I don't know Congress, <laughs> and uh, and murder, so they, they've they've violated all three, or are in the process of violating all three. Um, so it just goes to show how it's not even a slippery slope; it's just a, a steep, <laughs> steep cliff. You just, just fall falling, off the edge of the cliff. Just falling off. And I think it's something that we don't think about all that often anymore because we are surrounded by monotheists in the countries in which we live, for one thing. And even when we encounter polytheism, it's a a far more muted, somber form of monotheism than we uh, of polytheism sorry than we find in the ancient world but you this concept of ethical monotheism is exactly what's at stake here the moment you no longer define god as being infinite god is finite god becomes effectively or the gods become effectively like human beings they just have superpowers which means that they have the same desires and the same interests and the same greed that human beings have, but they have the superpowers to be able to engage in in those and facilitate those those desires and those drives on a superhuman level. And that's exactly what you find in Greek mythology and in Roman mythology and the mythology of the ancient world. And that's what happens, it seems, with the Jews. The moment they they stop defining God as being infinite, they lose their role model for absolute perfection, absolute transcendence from the from the human experience, the finite human experience, and they engage in humanity and the desires of humanity and the base interests of humanity on a wholesale sort of level. And and yet ironically, and this is the other thing I was going to mention, is that there is this tradition that the Egel itself, the, the golden calf, is not just a empty form that they use as a, you know, a vehicle for their worship, but that it actually has some kind of a demonic force behind it that it jumps out of the flame that you know that's that's one interpretation for when Moshe says to Aharon like how could you do this he says well I threw the the golden and it and this it, is what came out and it just jumped out right that it there's something there is something magical uh something divine 
uh, about this, which is flies in the face of the idea that like, what are you doing? And his goal doesn't mean anything. Of no, actually, it's so. I mean, is that the Medrash's way of telling us that like maybe it's not literal that it jumped out, but it's telling us that this that this thing quickly takes on a life of its own. I think so. I think that that the reality is that that we it's almost as though we understand that in the quote unquote real world right when we're dealing with when we're dealing with business and and uh any any endeavor in the the physical finite material world we understand that errors can be catastrophic we understand that an error in judgment can be the difference between life and death we understand that an error in judgment while somebody's on the operating table, an error in judgment when you are going to accept or or turn down a, a business venture, a loan, uh, what have you, can can make enormous, enormous differences. And we need to scrutinize and we need to deliberate over those really critical kinds of decisions because it's not that it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts when it comes to a Hallmark card, but it's not the thought that counts when it comes to when it comes to things of of real significant import and and magnitude. Choices and, matter, and events will quickly get out of your control. Exactly right, and I think that that's the point here that that you can't expect. Well, you know, it's religion. It's religion. So really, we're trying to just access God. So we'll try something, and if God gives us the go ahead. And if God allows this to happen, and God allows us to continue down this path, then it must be good. And if not, not. And it's sort of it's it's comforting in the sense that it absolves us of any sort of uh, any sort of 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 mistaken judgment. Because listen, if God if God wills it in the enterprise of trying to get close to God, if God's allowing it to happen, then we then surely we can take this as a sign that everything is okay. And the the rabbis tell us exactly the opposite in the sense that Baderach Sha'adam wrote that Lelech Bo and the path in which a, a person wishes to to tread, Malichinoso. That's exactly the path that he will be guided towards through the uh, elements down here on earth that, that God controls. So if 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 you make an error, you can't expect that God is just going to to send you the shooting star or or some sort of uh you know, send you the tea leaves that are that are arranged in just such a way to steer you back and to guide you gently back onto the right course. We need to take these these questions and these considerations very, very seriously. What may well have begun is just an error in judgment. Moshe is gone. We don't have we don't have a uh, a Masora. We don't have a tradition for what you do when the one leader who serves as the conduit between ourselves and God. What are we supposed to do when he goes away? Nobody told us. Moshe is supposed to be the one who told us. He didn't prepare us for this. Starts off as an error in judgment. Starts off as a miscalculation of the time, the day that he was supposed to return back to the Jewish camp. And and they're left and they're confused and they're frightened. And the next thing you know, when they start to tread down a particular path, God guides them towards that path and gives them every indication that look through magic and supernatural phenomena that look, indeed, this is exactly how it should go. And they and they just they they buy into it hook line and sinker and it's all wrong it's all wrong the way that they should have gone about this is in a totally different manner but you, you cannot expect that that whatever whatever sign from from the heavens you you may interpret as being a as being an, an approbation of your activities uh, it, it 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 cannot be used as as a uh, cannot be used as as a means of of presuming that I'm acting 
correctly. You need to stop, you need to deliberate, you need to consider, and you need to really think through these things. It's amazing how quickly this all takes takes place, right? Aaron, we find that Aaron, who's effectively the, the next rung down, Aaron is not there and doesn't serve in the capacity as, you know, consigliere. Aaron, we don't know what to do. This just happened. Let's sit down and let's talk about this and let's try to work this out. He's strong-armed into building and into creating this effigy before he even gets the chance to say otherwise. And it's all wrong. So if I can try to distill what you're saying, is that you might read this part of the Torah and take away the message that what you have is a uh, a sort of a barely... barely compliant group of ex-slaves who have been kind of shocked into submission by all the miracles. But the second uh, they sort of see an opening, the their id kind of uh, flourishes. It, you know, all hell breaks loose. But that's not actually the case. What What, what is really happening is that they're, they're high-minded, they are bought into what has happened, but they make a decision which is uh, self-motivated. They maybe look for significance to uh, justify to themselves, to rationalize to themselves that they're making the right move. And in so doing, they unleash a sequence of events that kind of drives them further and further away from where they should be to, to the point really of, of near destruction. Is that how you, you're sort of looking at the this episode in the Torah? Yeah, I think it's more it's more a matter of of panic and how do we hold on to what we have rather than now now here's the opportunity. Let's let's scamper and let's let's get out of here right. as quickly as possible because Moshe is no longer here to force us into this this indentured servitude of God anymore. But they want they want a relationship with God. They just are don't know how to do it and don't know how to go about go about getting it in the absence of Moshe and they make a terrible mistake but mistakes are not are not acceptable and the ultimate the ultimate message for us is or one of the one of the big takeaways that we have i think is patience right it, i mean this is this is coming from your them sort of taking matters into their own hands and saying okay how how should i do this how can i how can we replace Moshe in a, in a way that makes sense to us? And it's if they would have waited, right? I mean, there, there's this idea that like, uh, you know, the Satan, there's this like satanic demonic force that's kind of making them miscount, right? We think numbers are very, very objective, but um, they're they're not always in the right, sense. What's, that what's your be, starting point? How, right. You get to you get to forty more quickly depending on when you start counting. Right, and so they. There's maybe something inside of them that that is looking for a, a little bit of an of an opening, but the fact of the matter is is that um, had they waited, then you know none none of this none of this would have happened. And I think the there's there's a lot in that for us to take away in terms of I mean I think there's there's lessons here in terms of uh, humility, <laughs> to not trying to to figure out all the answers for ourselves, not trying to not look not not buying into some kind of um you know looking at symbols that that validate m- my own desires uh, and and to to have a little bit of patience to have uh, a little bit of to be willing to to wait a little bit 
I think those are those are pretty powerful messages. I think it's huge. I think the the importance of you know faith is a, a difficult thing. Look, I think you could you could turn back to sort of the classic lesson of they should have had more faith and they should have had the faith that Moshe was going to to come back down. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Meaning honest mistakes happen, and I, I don't know how much we should ever uh, size up any given scenario and just blindly assume that everything will everything will work out and everything will will be to our advantage. The status quo will forever be preserved and forever be maintained. Who's to say? Who's to say that this wasn't really the end of, of Moshe and this wasn't really the end? And who knows how and, and, and why and why should it, it end up that way? But I don't know that they made that they made a mistake in, in their faith as much as in their judgment. And I think that you hit the nail on the head that the way that we can rectify errors in judgment is sometimes just to take a deep breath and to learn to not act so quickly that we don't have the opportunity to really think through things quickly enough. There, there really was no, there was no great need or great urgency to act immediately, and they, this is something that could have, you know, that they could have slept on. And sometimes that really is the, the greatest possible answer to come back the next day with a fresh pair of eyes. And to say, okay, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to attack? How are we going to, how are we going to take the next step forward, with or without motion? In all likelihood, if they had scheduled that board meeting for that morning, Moshe would have walked out in the middle of it and said, "Guys, I'm here." The Portion Podcast is recorded in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, produced by Aaron Roller. Our theme music is "The Magid's Niggin" by Simply Spot. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about it any way you can. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us and leave a review. We are sponsored by the Pravda Family Foundation. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Have a good Shabbos. And remember, there is always more to learn.